Welcome back to Epilogues, an unpacking of the weekly Haftorah. You are listening to Rabbi Yaakov Trump. This week we are going to be learning the Haftorah of Vayera. This is the topic of the miracle child. Our Haftorah is comprised of two very fascinating stories. Two stories that are facilitated by Elisha Hanavi, the prophet Elisha, who was a student of Eliyahu. And he performs a miracle in both of these stories on behalf of two separate women in two separate stories. We're going to have to consider to ourselves after unpacking what's really going on and just going through the narrative, why these two stories were chosen for the Haftarah itself. In the back of our minds, we should also be asking ourselves why the Tanakh provides these stories in the first place. These seem to be very specific dramas. These seem to be dealing with individual people rather than national interests. Um, and yet the Tanakh dedicates an entire chapter, Perek Dalad of Melachim Beis, to design to to focus on these two stories. Why would Tanakh include them? What is their greatest significance in understanding what's going on? So the first story takes up only the first seven psukim and is a story about the this poor woman. We've heard that there's a wife of the Bene Hanavim of the prophets, and she calls to Elisha and she says, "I've got a real problem. My, my husband died, and he was he died in great credit. I mean, in debt. So the creditors are coming and they're trying to um, and they're trying to." Um, extract the money and they're going to take the children um, because they, um, because I'm not able to repay the debt. So he says, What do you have in your house? And she responds that that, that she has a, a sukh shemen. She has a, you know, a gourd of oil. That's all she really has. So he tells her to go and request to borrow vessels or containers from all her friends, as many as she possibly can do. And she does. She brings him to her house, as the prophet tells her, and he says to her, close the door, and I'm going to tell you to pour the oil. And he pours, she pours the oil, and the oil keeps flowing from the container to all the other borrowed containers, and she fills them all up, and she's able to sell the oil at quite a premium, and is able to get money and be able to repay her debtors and live uh, live safely. That's, that is uh, what he says, and he concludes by saying to he, but no, sir, and you're going to sustain yourself on the remains. A few basic questions over here is, is who is this woman? Who's the Bnei Nevi'im? So this, the the Mepharshim tell us based on Chazal that she was the wife of Ovadia. Ovadia was a prophet who was in the service of the king of Achav, who was the king of the north, complicated um, individual. Um, but Ovadia, when there was a decree to, by the wife of Achav, Izevel, Jezebel, to wipe out all the prophets, he this um, this Ovadia saved a hundred prophets, put them in caves, and used all his own money, and that's where he went into great debt to sustain them through the drought and through, and through being hidden um, incognito. That's why he, and that's why he's in such great debt. And what the claim that's being made over here is, is that the is that essentially the way the Malbim explains it is she's saying it can't be that he should suffer, his family should suffer in poverty and and in lack of food for a mitzvah which he did to sustain the prophets of Hashem by giving them food. That's the 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 claim that is that that she is making over here as well. Um, why does the door need to be shut for this whole experience? So Rashi explains that um, that mi- miracles happen now in secret. We need to give space for miracles to happen. Hashem doesn't make huge fireworks shows. They're done in a subtle way, in a way that sometimes could be missed and many times are missed. And so she needs to close it in a way that is, that's obvious. In fact, it's not that suddenly a miracle suddenly appears in her bath. What it is is that she just pours and the pouring continues. It's an expansion of the reality that already is there. That's that, that's what that's what is happening over here. Um, and uh, and so the, this is a general perspective of what's happening over here. Um, Rabbi um, 
J.J. Shechta points out a very beautiful thing, and that is, is that he doesn't say to her, do you have anything in the house? He says, what do you have in the house? Every is something, even when a person's in a very impoverished and difficult state, there's always something a person has, and one builds off of that. Sometimes we feel to ourselves, we despair, we say there's nothing left in our lives, what can we do? I have nothing. The question we have to ask ourselves, well, what do you have? What can you expand? What can be the, the kernel or the beginning of your bracha? Uh, Norman Lemo on his drushes on the Yom Noraim pointed out that this might also be, the story might be a metaphor for the Jewish condition in exile where we feel like we're under siege. We feel that the creditors on the, on the, on the outside of our houses trying to take our children, not, try, not trying to take our children literally sometimes, but it could mean figuratively and educationally, where there's a culture around us that, that threatens to take our children away from us. And we feel impoverished. We feel like we don't have the tools to teach them the necessary the necessary culture, the necessary tradition. And part of that is the, the great difficulty of uh, of succeeding in the realm of Jewish continuity. And that's what's being described over here. We now move to the second case in our Haftar, which is the, really takes up the lion's share of this parak, the remaining part of this parak, and that is the, the case of the Isha Hashunamis. So Elisha you, does his rounds and he goes to the northern kingdom of Israel, visits different places, and there's a woman who lives in Shunem, and she sees that Elisha comes by, but he, she sees he doesn't have a place to stay. So what she does is, is she, um, she actually uh, um, makes for him. She asks her husband. She says they obviously people of, of means, and they make for him alias kir katana, whether it means a, a separate room on the ground floor or, or a, um, a a second floor room where he has all everything he needs. He has a he has a bed, he has a table to write, he has a, um, a chair and a uh, and a lamp, you know, so that he's able to to when he's that's going to be his home base when he comes to the area. He doesn't have to be um, staying in motels on the side of the road. And uh, and Elisha is so touched by this that he turn, turns to his his um, his assistant Gehazi and he tells Gehazi, "Ask this woman what she wants so I can give her a blessing." And she responds, I, "I dwell among my people." Um, so that is, so what that is understood to mean is that she does not want to stick out. In fact, the Mepharshim say that this could be referring to the fact that it's on Rosh Hashanah, and specifically on Rosh Hashanah in the Yom Adin, you don't want to be sticking out. Your greatest success is being subsumed in community, so it's not a good day to be showing off, not a good day to be protruding, because people don't survive so well when they, they, they have an individual audit. Um, and so she says that she doesn't want to stand out. So in that in that response, so the um, Gehazi notices and says that, they, look, they've been married for a while, but they don't have a child. And so he, uh, so Elisha gives this woman a a ble- blessing that in the the la moed hazer koyes chaya. Um, you in this time next year you're going to be chovek Spain, You're going to have a a child. <clears throat> she initially doesn't believe him, but um um ultimately she's she's greatly thankful for 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 this blessing as well. Um, and there's a lot of very fascinating details which are here the, uh, discussed over here. The Gomorrah and Brachos Dav Yudah talks about many, many different details about how she knew he was holy, um, different aspects of how he behaved himself in the conduct of his room, that she she noticed that there was something special about him. Why it was that she noticed that he was special, not the husband? And Rav Cook in the commentary on the Gomorrah talks about the intuition of women and a great, greater understanding of character perhaps than the, 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 her husband would have had. A lot of interesting discussions to be had, but not for now, you know, very short um, perspective on this as well. Um, what, what is interesting is, is, is that what happens next, is that this child grows up and he's one day, he's going to the field, he's, he's, uh, uh, it's, it's harvest time, and he calls out to his father and he says, Rashi, Rashi, my head is sore. She returns to his mother and she, she holds him, she's holding him in her lap and, um, and he dies. 
He does. He was there was something that that happened to him. Where there was an aneurysm, something we don't know. The, the Tanakh is not going to the biological reasons as to what really happened. But uh, this the, this this child dies, and so she immediately places him on the bed of the prophet, which is in this room that she made for him, and she closes the door. Again, a door closing, which should be the same same pattern we should be noticing in the Saftara. And she goes and she goes and saddles her donkey and off she goes to go to the to the to the to the uh, the prophet. Uh, her husband sees that she's going there and he says, Lo Chodesh, Lo Shabbos. And he says, Why are you going? It's not the days that you usually visit the the like Rosh Chodesh or on Shabbos, you, you, the, the, the days that you go to visit the sages. And she says, Shalom. She says, Peace. She goes off, she rides to um the the um the, the woman and when he see, when he sees her coming he's he 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 realizes that something something is going on she she comes up and to 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 gay Chazin and says everything all right and she says shalom and then she comes to Elokim. she doesn't want to talk, talk to gay Chazin. she prostrates herself in front of him um right in front of him and she begs and she says you you don't you should not have deceived me you said that you're going to give me a child and now that's not happening um, and so, so the the um, prophet says to Gehazi, "Go quickly, go ahead, and um, and put my cloak over the, the the this the this lad." And off he goes, and they return. Um, he comes into the to the attic or to this room, and uh, Elijah comes in, and he sees that the, the, the child is lying on the bed, and he closes the door again, closing the door, prays to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and lies upon him, like mouth on mouth, eyes on eyes, hands on hands. And uh, and the, the the and miraculously, there's a resurrection. This child returns to life, um, and uh, he uh, um, and he 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 is he is resurrected, and he and and he is reunited with his his money. But he saw but no, but saying she takes her son and she leaves. Very very powerful description over here. One thing which is really important to notice over here is that notice that in the entire time she never describes the situation. She never articulates the situation. So when her husband asks her what's going on over here, she says shalom. When Gehazi asks her what's going on, she says shalom. She never describes the situation. And part of that is is that she did not want to pronounce the situation as it was. She did not want it to be that the condition had been decided um, that, it, that he was dead because she knew that while it had not been articulated, there was still a, a level, there was a certain, a certain degree that this was not really in fact true yet in this world and she they in a certain sense avoided that until Elijah had the chance to bring back what little life there might still be in him um, the question is why is this the Torah of Vayera it's a very powerful description but, but why is this the Torah of Vayera Rabbi Dr. Dr. Mendel Hirsch points out in his commentary on the Torah is a very beautiful observation he says the second part the second story seems to be very much connected and obviously connected to our parasha because we also hear about Sarah who's at its age and stage where she's not able to have children like the Shashonamis and HaKadosh Baruch intervenes and the prophet comes in and in Vayera it's the angels and they promise within a year that they'll have a child and they do have a child miraculously against the nature and against the biology of Kosh Baruch who facilitates that a child, a very special child is born. Avram and Sarah have Yitzhak and this Isha Shunamis and her husband have this uh, the, this uh, this unnamed child as well. So the, the parallels seem, uh, seem very obvious of the second section. However, it's more than that because it could be it's a metaphor for Israel. In the same way that Avram, uh, um, Avram and Sarah struggled to have Yitzhak, they struggled to have continuity. And when they had that continuity, there were times where that continuity seemed a great risk. Yitzhak was put on the Akeda, the Isha Shunamis son actually looks like he dies. Gosh Baruch was saying to us is that when the person is prepared, even at times when it looks like the next generation seems to be dead, when we are prepared to connect ourselves directly and uninterruptedly with the uh, the, the prophet, directly with the word of our Kosh Baruch Hu, the Ratzon of, 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 of our Bore, in a very close way, in such a way 
there is the opportunity of continuity. There's so many times in Jewish history where it looks like the child of Israel has died, has been killed. It's too it's too much. It's too it's too late. But it's never really too late. There's, if we're able to reconnect to the Ratzon Hashem, to the will of Hakadosh Baruch Hu directly, there is still hope that the child of Avraham Avinu, that a legacy of Avraham Avinu, can be resurrected. And that's what's happening over here as a metaphor in Haftarah as well, a continuation of the Avraham and Sarah story, not just a parallel. Uh, but it goes further than that, and that's going back to part one. You notice one thing which, which most most people don't even pay pay attention to is that what is going on in society in the northern Israel at the time they were talking isn't isn't it so incredibly disappointing and painful to hear about a society in which the creditors rule and and money um, unfettered um, um, money control is what is the the game of the day um, and to such a degree that the creditors are going to take the children of a widow as collateral for the debts that she owes what kind of inhumane society what kind of sodomite society are we talking about in israel itself how far have they come from the belief of abraham who takes everybody into his tent is willing to help everybody how far have they gone in israel from that how close to sodom are they and perhaps what the torah is saying these two stories together is that there's always going to be continuity in Israel. There's always going to be the possibility of even in very close near-death experiences of the legacy of Judaism continuing. But we have to be able to be connected to that legacy. If we want to be connected to our father, we need to also be connected to our father Abraham, our matriarch Sarah, in a way where we're acting like them. And if we're not acting like them, then how do, should we be privy to the gifts and the blessings of them as well. The two parts of our Torah serve as those two questions. We have the ability to be able to survive, but we need to be able to look like Abraham and Sarah in order to be able to succeed. With this, we conclude. In the meantime, have a wonderful, meaningful day.